0: Hmm. Is ichor worth as much as blood? Can you write off a cursed goblet? Does an eight like a dog count as a child if you feed it breast milk? Hmm. That's right. It's tax season once again. But this spring, every donation to the Wrong Station Patreon qualifies you for a $7,000 tax credit, redeemable once Wrong Station takes over your country's government. Which is soon. Click the link in the description below to discover behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, art, book clubs, and more Wrong Station goodies. And remember to file. A wonder-working power in the precious Incredible, as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Looking back on it now, the Latin's arrival seems too convenient, too contrived to have really happened the way it did, and there have been hours of my life spent drifting on the poppy or the grape when I wondered if they did arrive that day, or if in truth I died that dusty afternoon, and the Latin's unexpected nick of time arrival was nothing but the consoling fantasy of a dying mind. And if so, and if I have been dead all these years, then have I dwelt in heaven or in hell? I must confess, what came after the Latin's arrival inclines my mind in one direction. But the grape has led me down its fragrant path of speculation. Let me return to the start, the dry village where I was born, in the mountainous outskirts of Calycia. Into the dry afternoon when the Khazis came for us. Our village was built between two mountains, which we called the Red Mountain and the Purple Mountain, because of how the light hit them at sunset. Usually, when we saw the Khazis coming up from the valley, we would take shelter in the caves under the Red Mountain and return only after they had plundered the town. It was how things had worked for nearly five hundred years. But now the times had changed latin crusaders had seized control of edessa and were pushing toward the euphrates banks the atabeg of musul needed gold to push them back and so that year the Khazis raided not for the sake of ritual but for the sake of slaves instead of coming up the valley with their horses they dismounted taking a goat trail around the purple mountain they came upon our village unawares Uh, Forgive me. I shall uh, lean on the grape for this next part. Uh, No. No, I think I will not describe it to you after all. That I should have lived when so many others died. Ah, it... uh, It's still... "'draws blood from my heart. "'Maybe I should have died. "'Maybe I did. "'Suffice it to say, "'many were killed or carried off before the Latins came. "'Those of us who were left "'were the ones who had managed to barricade ourselves inside the church. "'But the Huzis brought up bundles of wood, "'which they doused with water from the well and set alight. "'White smoke boiled through the barricaded windows.' And we began to choke. As for me, I was young, bold, and stupid. I convinced several other boys to take up sticks and broken bricks, convinced we could sally forth and drive the hussies off through bravery alone. Madness. A handful of boys with fistfuls of sun-baked clay facing veteran spears. We'd have died in moments. Stupid boy, haven't you learned yet that it's better to live as a slave than die as a lion? Ah, uh, but you will. You will learn very soon. And it was just as we stood ready to charge to the doors and fight for our lives that a sound of trumpets filled our valley and a thunder of hoofs shook the foundations of our church. I unbarred the doors and flung them open, in time to see the Latins charging home, their armor shining bright against the sky that reddish clouds of dust had turned the color of drying blood. Oh, it was glorious, glorious! (laughs) Or so I thought at the moment. Only if it was so glorious, then why have I watched it all again so many times in my dreams? Why must I numb myself to sleep with poppies, even now, to keep from dreaming of the sword that shears through cap and skull, the lance that split a man before me like a farmer's hoe that halves a dusty (laughs) root? Seen next to the bodies of my own people, the hussies didn't seem so different. Many could have been, or were, from the other side of the valley, Perhaps our ancestors had been one people, and all that cleaved us was the luck to be born on one riverbank or the other when some ancient treaty had been signed. <laughs> I become maudlin. I must drink some more. Best not to think of such things. Allow me to refresh myself. <sighs> The Latins were few in number, but with horses, armor, and surprise, they quickly turned their charge into a slaughter. Many Hussars attempted surrender, but the Latins were in no mood for that. The dry streets of our town soon churned with purple slaughterhouse mud and echoed the cries of routing troops. But the captain of the Latins did not participate in this mopping up. Instead, he rode to the front steps of our church to greet the shocked survivors. How shall I describe this strange fellow? He was a knight, but I have seen many knights since then, and few who dressed as he did. His enclosed helm rose to a conical spike, around which a white turban was wrapped, white veils hung to his shoulders and white bands of cloth wound his body around as if he were a corpse made ready for the grave. He must have worn chainmail beneath these winding sheets, for several arrows had pierced the white cloth, but none of them had drawn blood. His breath echoed from under the steel mask, labored and metallic. On his left side he carried a white shield with a bright green cross. "'My name,' he said." is joshua lazarus we were surprised to hear latin speaking armenian and so nobody answered him until i spoke up welcome sir latin we thank you for delivering us the lord has delivered you he said i am but a vessel may we beg your hospitality it was difficult to refuse although most of us were uneasy around these violent foreigners around the strange man who led them. And so the Latins stayed with us that night. As I said, though, I was young, bold, and stupid. Despite any misgivings, I was fascinated by these Latins and their strength of arms. And so when Lazarus, who was avoided even by his own men, sat on his own outside, I went to sit with him, watching the stars come out. He told me that he was a type of Latin called a Frank, and that he had sworn his life to the Knights Hospitaller, and within them to the Order of Saint Lazarus. Then Joshua Lazarus is not your real name, I said. It is now, came the response. I noticed he did not eat or drink anything, and that when the wind died away he had a faint, unpleasant smell of rotten sweetness. The order of St. Lazarus, I began. Indeed, he said, it is composed of lepers. In spite of myself, I recoiled from him, inching further down the brick stoop where we sat. He laughed, sadly. Fear not, he said. My illness spreads only through touch. He held a bandaged hand up to the dim lamplight flickering through the windows behind him, And it has been twenty years since I touched another person. In twenty years, I have touched only God alone. He glanced at me, and even through the reflective steel mask, I could hear the smile in his voice. And God, of course, cannot fall sick. Feeling ashamed for having recoiled, I tried to change the subject. Your order is based in Jerusalem? Indeed, as the vulture flies, we have traveled nearly 500 miles to be here. As the horse rides, the distance has been much greater. I asked, why come all this way? Although I was afraid I knew the answer already. In response, he confirmed my fears by turning his mask to the sky, where the purple mountains' umber silhouette darkened a triangle of the stars. A pilgrimage, he said. I felt a shiver run down my spine. To the Purple Mountain. Indeed, to the cave in the Purple Mountain. I folded my arms across myself, feeling suddenly cold. I do not go there, I said. He looked at me. In the darkness, the depths of his masked eyes were even more impenetrable. You know the name of that cave? I asked him. He laughed. The sound was awkward, as if it had been a long time since he laughed in earnest. You call it the Cave of Apocalypse. You think it is an ominous name. But tell me, do you know what apocalypse means? It means the end of the world. Ah, a common misconception in the land of Franks as it is here. Both our people use this same word, apocalypse, which is borrowed from Greek. But in that language, the meaning is different. Apo means away. Kalupto means to cover. Apocalypsis then, means to uncover, reveal. This place in the Purple Mountain, it is a cave of revelation. I was somehow not comforted by this. I wouldn't want any revelation that came from there, I said. Simple enough for you to say, he said, turning that silver gaze back to the mountain. But for me, the stakes are higher. I am on crusade. Unless the cure to my affliction be revealed, I shall not live to bear the cross much longer. <laughs> bear the cross he said (laughs) by now you may guess that I am no theologian only an old lascivious lush whose wits feeble by nature have been further addled by the angel of the drinking horn but even I must wonder which cross was he intended to bear ah The next morning, the Latins woke early to set out on the last leg of their journey. Alone among the people of my village, I was sad to see them go, and so alone I stood at the edge of town to watch them take the Purple Mountain Road. Joshua was the last of them to pass, and as he did, he hesitated and turned his steel face toward me. As I sit alone at night, so I ride alone at dawn. He said. It has been many years since I had a squire. Would you like to travel with us? I had no desire to visit the Purple Mountain, but I had a great longing for glory and feats of arms. You would take me on as a squire? I would. You would give me a sword and teach me to fight, teach me Latin and bring me to Jerusalem even to the holy sepulchre himself, Jerusalem. <laughs> well, as if I cared, all I wanted was to leave that dusty little town. And so I said yes. And a moment after that, I left my home, riding on a Frankish horse, into the shadow of the Purple Mountain. Hmm. Is Icar worth as much as blood? Can you write off a cursed goblet? Does an ate like a dog count as a child if you feed it breast milk? Hmm. That's right. It's tax season once again. But this spring, every donation to the Wrong Station Patreon qualifies you for a $7,000 tax credit, redeemable once Wrong Station takes over your country's government. Which is soon. Click the link in the description below to discover behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, art, book clubs, and more Wrong Station goodies. And remember to file. It took most of the day to climb that winding, dismal trail. In the mountain's shadow, the sun did not seem to rise until nearly noon. While the world below and beyond was red and tinged with gold, the path that we wandered was still purple with the night... Even when the sun was straight above, the daylight on that mountain had a dismal character. Halfway up, one of the horses missed its step and slipped, carrying its rider over the edge and into an empty sky. I will never forget that horse's scream, or the way the man fell in absolute silence. I did not look. But the Lazarus stopped "'Raising one hand in benediction, he prayed the Latin prayers for the dead. "'But we were crusaders. We did not stop for long. "'Although the sun seemed to have only just risen, "'it was already close to sunset when we reached the entrance to the cave. "'For all the dreadful stories I had heard, "'the entrance of the cavern did not seem so grim. "'It was lit up red and gold by the golden hour, Its depths seemed not dark, but warmly dim. A wolf lay beside the cavern entrance, warming itself in the red-gold light. Unlike any other wolf I'd seen as a boy, its coat was red as ochre paint. And as we approached, a strange thing happened. The wolf stirred itself and stretched, and stood, fixing us with its golden stare, opening its jaws, it spoke with a human voice. You do not belong here, Joshua Lazarus. Lazarus froze. Behind him, the men murmured and crossed themselves. The wolf flowed forward like wine poured from a jug until it stood before the cavern mouth, its liquid shape resettling into human form. A youth now stood before us, dressed in simple padded armor and wearing a sword at their hip. Their hair was wavy, shoulder-length. In the golden hour it appeared to be touched by fire. How do you know my name? said Lazarus. The youth did not answer but only barred his path. "'You will not permit me to pass?' said Lazarus. "'You do not belong here,' said the youth. "'I disagree,' said the knight. He drew his sword. With a rueful smile, the youth drew forth their sword as well, and the sword was wreathed with fire. At first I thought it was a trick of the dying sun. I rubbed my eyes, but when my vision cleared... The sword still burned. Lazarus hesitated. Do you know what I am? said the youth. A djinn, said Lazarus, a beast of air and fire, a messenger of hell. The youth smiled and shook their head. No, they said. You know that is not what I am. Before more words could pass between them, Lazarus attacked. And for a man afflicted unto death, he was shocking in his strength and speed. And could he then have truly been a leper? I have spoken with doctors, Arabic and Persian, Indian and Greek, and all assured me lepers are tormented by both clumsiness and fatigue. But then again, a lack of ability to feel pain is also a symptom and though Lazarus was struck many times by the youth's flaming brand, he did not so much as flinch. When his own sword began to glow and warp from the heat, he dropped it and stepped closer to wrestle with the youth instead. And though he was strong, the youth proved stronger, and Lazarus was forced to give ground. At last, though, he pulled a trick— pretending to slip by accident and falling across the mouth of the cave so that the youth turned their back on his men. Now, Lazarus shouted, a dozen crossbows, thwacked, causing the youth's back to sprout feathers. The youth sank to their knees, mouth wide with surprise. But then they laughed. "'their mouth filling not with blood, but with pure water. "'I tried to help you, Lazarus,' they said, "'and then began to fall, not earthward, but skyward, "'tumbling slowly up toward the distant outer dark. "'For a moment we all looked up, "'watching the body catch the last of the golden hour as it fell.' The men looked uncomfortable. Lazarus picked himself up. Enough, he said. The beast is destroyed. Our goal lies further in. And so, leaving the horses, we ventured into the cave, as he called it, of revelation. A long, smooth hallway led us down at a shallow angle. The men lit torches which faltered continually in the low, keening winds channeled by the rough-hewn walls. In this dim light, we began to discern half-faded friezes on the walls. One particular motif seemed to recur and recur. A winged figure daubed onto the walls with some purplish ink. I reached out to brush the walls with my hand. A bit of that ink came away on my fingertips. In all the intervening years, it has not washed away. At the time, though, I did not notice this. I had greater concerns. In the place where I touched the painted figure's wing, it seemed as though the feathers had taken on a more realistic appearance. And as I looked closer, I realized that, no, these were real feathers. The wall was thin, thin as paper, and on the other side were birds, tens of thousands of them pressing against the walls until the walls around us bulged and then burst. All of a sudden, the hall was filled with the thunder of countless wingbeats and the awful, greasy feel of starling feathers and starling bodies was all around us and there were so many birds in the air that you couldn't even draw breath and there was raging, raging, raging everywhere. And then, as quickly as it started, it was done and the starlings had boiled up out of the mouth of the cave behind us. Like a dark geyser. I'd flung up my arms to cover my face. Now bleeding, I lowered them. Lazarus's white robes, already scorched by the youth and the flaming sword, had been ripped to tatters, revealing the dull steel underneath. Only his shield still shone white. Behind us one of the men was dead, with a starling jammed through his eye socket. Another was writhing on the floor, choking on the birds which had flown down his throat. The others descended to help him, but he died as we watched. Lazarus spoke a quick rite for the dead. One of the sergeants spoke up. Sir Lazarus, the knight, looked at him. The soldier's Adam's apple moved up and down. It took him a moment to work up his courage. "'We won't go any further,' he said." Lazarus just looked at him. If it were a battle, the soldier trailed off. But this place is accursed. The other soldiers murmured their assent. Lazarus stood still for a long moment. So be it, he said at last. Behind steel slits, his eyes glanced in my direction. And what about you, my new squire? "'If I turn back, will I still be your squire?' He slowly shook his head. "'Then I'll go forward with you.' "'So be it,' Lazarus said again. As we continued on alone, our way was lit by the dim torch that flickered in my hand, by its dim reflection on his naked sword. And at the bottom of the tunnel, we reached a fork. "'Which way do you think?' He sounded tired. I could feel the fatigue coming off him, like chill from an open window. Left. I chose at random. Indeed. And left we went. A sudden light flared in the distance ahead. For a moment I thought it was daylight, that we had come through the other side, and the thought filled me with childish hope. But, course, it would have been dark outside by now. No, the source of light ahead came from my own hand. It was a mirror I was seeing, a mirror that stood alone in a dark, empty stone room, the floor of which was strewn with purple feathers. Hmm, said Lazarus. He stepped past me. And as he came face to face with the glass, I saw what it reflected for him. Whereas a moment before it had shown my torch flaring in a dark passage under this mountain, it now reflected a sunlit room with neat rows of beds beneath wide and airy windows. Orange trees could be glimpsed beyond the white stone sills. And whereas it had shown the blank, still mask of Lazarus before, It now reflected the face of a man, the most hideous person I had ever seen. The skin of his face was thick, like rhinoceros hide, and it had taken on a blue-black color around the folded lips and heavy jowls. His eyebrows, nose, lips, and cheeks were covered in spherical clusters like ruptured frog eggs, each one revealing a dark, wet interior. One of his eyes was clear and sad. The other was split and seeping with open lesions. Thankfully, the rest of the man's body was swathed in white cloth. "Hmm," said Lazarus. It must be some manner of test. Is the mirror a door, I asked. Are we to pass through it? No, said Lazarus, I think not. He lifted his sword and pressed its point into the surface of the mirror. The steel tip sank slowly through the silver, as if being pushed through flesh, not metal. On the reflection side, the hideous man cried out in silence, clutching his belly as the sword impaled him. Blood bloomed across the whiteness of his clothes, before bubbling up out of the mirror to stream over Lazarus's mailed hands and spatter on the floor. The knight watched, utterly impassive, torchlight flickering from his steel face, as the man on the mirror's other side died. And when it was finished, Joshua slowly withdrew his crimsoned sword and with a contemptuous, backhanded slash, he clove the mirror in two. It collapsed to the ground, bleeding from each of its separate halves. We took the wrong turn, he said. What we came for lies the other way. Without another word or glance, he turned back down the tunnel. As for me, I did not look into the dying mirror. I did not want to know what it would show me, and now, after all these years, campaigns, journeys, fortunes won and lost, I think I know what its reflection would have shown, and maybe I wish that I had looked. We returned back the way we'd come, and when we reached the fork in the tunnel we descended its opposite branch. This time, no light winked at us from up ahead. Up ahead, all we could see was a door frame, framing darkness. We paused upon this threshold. Joshua Lazarus, whispered a voice from within. The two of us glanced at one another. Joshua Lazarus, the Oracle will see you now. Lazarus reached out and took the torch from my hand. He ventured into darkness alone. A moment later, I followed. And now I shall depend no longer on the grape. Or, at this stage in the story, its purple color grows hateful to my sight, despite the many kindnesses it has done for me before. No, at this stage in the story, I shall lean on the poppy instead, on its sweetened nectar stirred into pure cold water. (sighs) Ah, it will have to do. Inside that room, a man had been nailed to the wall. He was completely naked. His body had gone pallid from the dark, though coarse black hair still striped his flesh. Ah, did I say nailed? Uh, Perhaps that is misleading. Indeed, he had been pinioned to the walls, pierced through the pectorals and thighs by long... Racuses of what seemed to be peacock tail feathers of a deep and iridescent purple. A set of rotten golden eagle wings had been nailed to the wall behind him, giving him the appearance of a makeshift angel. He was very much alive and laughing. Joshua well, Lazarus, how lovely to see you, e chuckled. How do you know my name? You came to me for answers, didn't you? And now you're surprised I should have them. Well, then give me the answer I seek. (laughs) And which one would that be? Lazarus hesitated. Which other question did he have? He had only spoken to me of one. But no life contains only one mystery. He hesitated for a long time. When I relive it in my memory, I pray each time that he hesitates a little longer. How can I be cured? He said at last. There was a tension in his voice. It must have been the wrong question it must have been the one he couldn't help but ask the makeshift angel cackled i was hoping it would be the one you asked he said did lazarus flinch at that maybe i have only added that part to my memory i'll tell you the oracle said on one condition i'm listening that you kill me before you go. Lazarus stared at him. I swear, I almost saw the steel lip of that mask curl. I can promise you that, he said. The makeshift angel laughed and moaned with pleasure at the answer. The sound made me want to be sick. The answer, said Lazarus. Now. The answer, said the oracle, is right there in your hand. He looked down at his own bloody fist, at the sword doused in his own afflicted blood. I did not know what that answer meant, but Lazarus seemed to be able to put the pieces together in his head. He thought for... Long moment. At last he said two words. How many? In return he received a rotten smile. You can keep one if you like. What does that mean? I said. Brother Lazarus? He turned to face me like a steel statue... And for a moment, I didn't know what it meant when he raised his sword. And then the world went white. Ah. When I awoke, I found the makeshift angel dead, his shaggy head hanging low over the wound that had pierced his heart. His blood had pooled on the floor around me. Congealing in my clothes and hair Because of that And because of the head injury Lazarus had given me I had to throw up several times Before I was able to stand upright For some reason The night had left a lit torch Hanging in a wall sconce It had almost burned down But gave me enough light To reach the exit of the cave It was dark outside Full dark, though The velvet sky was pierced with brilliant stars. I wondered if the youth was still up there, spiraling slowly through the sempiternal dark. I wondered once more who they had been. Once more. I think I know the answer now. A saddled horse was waiting for me, tied to a nearby rock. It was not yet sunup when I reached the town below. Lazarus was waiting for me, along with his men. He had removed his helmet and armor and was lying on a patch of dusty grass, gazing up at the stars. I was surprised to see that he was a very handsome man, with a and tousle of golden hair and a jawline that could... "'Cut Amir in half. "'One of his arms was heavily bandaged, "'and a bloody sword was lying next to him. "'His men were holding loaded crossbows, "'and the remaining people of my village "'were lined up against the wall, "'silent and wide-eyed with disbelief "'at what he had done to them. "'At first I thought it was a trick of the light.' of the darkness cast across the night by the purple mountain shadow. At first I thought it was just an illusion that made the people of my village look that way, like their faces had roughened to like hide and taken on a blue-black color. It took me a moment to understand. It wasn't until I noticed they all had deep cuts on the same parts of their arms that he had bandaged, that I realized what he had done to cure himself. "'I wish it could have been another way,' he said, finally noticing me. "'I could see his eyes now. They were a pretty shade of blue. "'But we are on crusade. I have work to do and must be able to bear the cross.' A while longer. I found I could no longer look at the people I'd been raised with. I turned my back on them and faced the dark sky and darker mountain. Fool that I was. I still see their faces every time I close my eyes. If you no longer wish to come, he said, I'll understand. But you know the kind of boy I was. Will you give me a sword and a horse? I asked. Will you take me to Jerusalem? Of course. I felt filthy to say it. I felt tainted and wretched and diseased. I felt like a leper. Then I will come with you. This week's episode, The Lazarite, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Chris Hopf for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com.